Welcome to Bovine Banter with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. I'm Carly Becker, and I'm a dairy educator based in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Joining us today, all the way from Mississippi, is Dr. Amanda Stone with Mississippi State University. Thanks for being with us today. Amanda, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role at Mississippi State? Sure. So first of all, I appreciate you having me. Um, I'm excited to be here, and I am an assistant professor and extension dairy cattle specialist at Mississippi State University. Um, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, not your area of Pennsylvania, but uh, the Greensburg area of Pennsylvania, but came to Mississippi State um, about five years ago, I guess, um, and have been working in research, extension, and teaching ever since. So I get to work with dairy producers every day trying to improve their operations and troubleshoot any problems that they have. I get to teach students about dairy science with lactation and immunology and diseases. And then I get to do research, most of which involves um, mastitis and health, precision dairy farming, and heat stress. Great. And we're so happy to have you here with us today. I'm happy to be here. So today we'll be talking about mastitis and first calf heifers and then some strategies to possibly prevent it. First, I want to start off with how do heifers get mastitis? So mastitis is really just inflammation of the mammary gland. And we often just kind of interchangeably use it with an intramammary infection, but they're really scientifically two different things. So inflammation can happen because of bacteria, which would be an intramammary infection, or it can happen when, you know, an, an udder gets stepped on if the cow is getting up and isn't quite as graceful as we would like her to be maybe. And she, she steps on her udder or her teeth. So those are the two kind of areas that can cause inflammation. But most of the time we're talking about mastitis that is caused by bacteria. There are lots of mastitis causing bacteria out there, um, but not every bacteria that we have in the world can cause mastitis. So there's a few um, heavy hitters, if you will, that we'll probably talk about throughout the, the podcast to, today that kind of group themselves into environmental and contagious. So they're going to get mastitis different ways based on how or what type of, of mastitis causing bacteria they are experiencing. Heifers are really prone to getting contagious mastitis that obviously goes from cow to cow. We call it contagious, right? Because flies are pretty prevalent in, in heifer fields and they can drink milk from a, a lactating cow who might have that contagious mastitis causing pathogen in their milk or on their mammary gland. And they take that to a heifer's teat and then just spread it from cow to heifer and, and then heifer to cow and back and forth. Right. But we also, I would say as a whole kind of just throw heifers out on the back 40 more often than we should. Right. And don't necessarily keep them in areas where we can monitor them as well as we can our lactating cows where we're looking at their udders at least two times a day. We're not doing that with heifers. And so if they are in dirty environments, so really muddy pastures, or maybe a pack barn that needs to be cleaned out, all of that can contribute to environmental mastitis too, just like it can in lactating cows. Yeah. And so do these heifers actually show clinical signs of mastitis before calving? And if they do, then what type of signs would producers typically see and when would they appear? 
So it depends, which I know is not the answer, <laughs> answer that you want from an expert, right? But they can show signs, which would be clinical mastitis, or it can be subclinical. And that would be that they're not showing signs. You know, in a lactating cow, they can have subclinical mastitis also, but we can test their milk for somatic cell count, um, which basically tells us how many white blood cells are in a milliliter of milk. And that gives us a general idea of, you know, is this animal's immune system trying to fight off an infection? So it's an indirect kind of way of, of giving us the, the scenario that's going on in her udder. We don't milk our heifers, so we don't have the ability to figure out if they have subclinical mastitis. So really the only time we're going to catch if a, if a heifer has mastitis is if she is so showing clinical signs because we're not milking her. Those clinical signs are not going to include abnormal milk like they do in lactating cows. Right. But if you look at her udder and she has a swollen quarter, or if it's red, or if she seems like she's experiencing some pain in her udder, all of those things can be signs of clinical mastitis. And it's really important to evaluate our heifers so that we can potentially treat them if they are experiencing that before they cab in. And then we have a bunch of other issues to deal with because it's then affecting her lactation and production and, and all of that. But we don't look at our heifers two times a day. And by no means would I recommend that somebody needs to go yeah. out and look at, at every heifer's udder two times a day, but we can check them more periodically probably than what most of us are doing. And we would be able to see those signs a little bit more accurately, if you will. Okay. And you kind of mentioned this already, how mastitis can be transferred from heifer to heifer. And you mentioned flies. Is Are there any other ways that mastitis can be transferred? Yeah. So with lactating cows, it is typically transferred in milking equipment. And so if the milker goes on one, the milking clog goes on one cow, and then you get the mastitis, the contagious mastitis causing pathogen in there, and then you put it on the next cow, it's going to transfer to her or a milker's hands, or even if they're wearing gloves, you know, gloves are not a hundred percent effective. They're not a, a sterile thing that you're touching. You know, you're still spreading things from cow to cow. So the lactating cows, there's a lot of areas where contagious pathogens can be passed, but it's typically happening in the milking parlor with heifers. They're not in the milking parlor. So that's a, a positive that we're taking out that spread or potential spread area. So flies are really the, the vector of spread within heifers for contagious mastitis. Flies really love dairy farms and they love milk and they love manure. So there's a lot of them out there and it's very easy for them to pick up contagious pathogens that cause mastitis and just take them over to the heifers. And especially if you're dealing, you know, in really hot areas or areas that are very um, humid and have a big fly problem relates to hygiene of your, your farm also, right? The, the cleaner farms are still going to have flies. You, you cannot ever fully get rid of them, but dirtier farms are going to have more flies on them. And so if you're dealing with fly issues, you will sometimes notice even at the ends of um, heifer's teeth that they have little fly bites on them. And so that's just constantly a, a potential for the spread of contagious mastitis. But environmental mastitis isn't going to be spread 
from cow to cow or from, you know, heifer to cow or cow to heifer. Environmental mastitis comes from the environment, but it's not contagious. And so that's going to be like E. coli and Klebsiella and environmental streps. And so those are coming from muddy areas, from manure laden areas, and just in general, dirty environments. And if you've ever been to a dairy farm, you know that dairy cattle do not go to the bathroom in one little corner and just leave it at that, right? So even the best farm with the cleanest and best management practices, they're still going to be able to be exposed to be environmental pathogens, even though they don't seem like they're super dirty all the time, right? It still is in their environment. And so they're not spreading from cow to cow, but environmental pathogens are spreading from the environment to the cow or to the heifer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if a producer is walking the bedded pack pen with the heifers in it or the pasture and they identify a heifer that has a swollen quarter, what is the best way, best thing that that producer should do to manage that situation? So there's a couple options. Hopefully they have a good relationship with their vet that they could talk to them about potentially using intramammary antibiotics to treat her. Orbacil is also a really good option. Um, it's, I don't know if you've done any podcasts on Orbacil or internal teat sealants as a whole, um, but it's basically a, a man-made keratin plug and the keratin plug naturally forms in, in dry cows and in heifers before calving that protects the, the inside of the udder from bacteria going inside of it. But it is not a perfect system. It's not like a ball of concrete or anything, you know, so it's very easy to break through that keratin plug. So the man-made keratin plug that is um, the internal teat sealant like Orbacil, that can really prevent bacteria from getting in. And if you treat it, use antibiotics before you put Orbacil in, in a, a, in a dry cow or in a heifer before she has her first calf, you're really creating an environment of, you know, the antibiotic that you put in there should essentially use the right type and everything, kill whatever bacteria is in there. And then you are blocking any other bacteria from getting in there. You do of course have to be very cautious of using antibiotics before calving. You need to make sure that there is enough time for the withholding to not have a hot tank whenever she first comes into milk, because as you know, all of our milk is, is free of antibiotics or we can't sell it. So they need to make sure that they're using the proper method, the proper timing of for withholding and intramammary antibiotics are safe in heifers, but it is typically going to be an off label use. So you would have to have your veterinarian kind of okay it, if you will. Although here you can get intramammary antibiotics at tractor supply or your local co-op or, or whatever. Ever. So if you wanted to do so and felt the need to, to treat somebody, you have that, that option at your hands. So would you recommend blanket treating all heifers that were about to calve in or just selectively treating certain heifers or how would you decide that? That's a hard question. So I, as of right now, would not recommend blanket treating all heifers on every farm, partly because it is very going to be very costly. And we're not totally sure at this point through research exactly how 
beneficial it is, right? Like we don't know fully how many heifers are experiencing subclinical mastitis on your farm or even clinical because we are missing so many of them. And what effect that has is, are you making a lot more milk if you end up treating them? Or are you making a lot more money if you treat them versus if not? So there's a lot of economics questions on treating heifers before they calve that I don't think we have come to a good answer on. However, I do recommend it on farms that are having difficulties with their first calf heifers calving in with mastitis, because that is telling us that there is something happening that's not related to the milking parlor, that's not related to their lactating cow housing, right? It has to be at some point before they calved that they're having this issue because they're calving in with it. So if they have, you know, one or two or whatever, a handful of heifers calving in with problems, that's normal, right? But if they see that there's really a pattern to it and that they don't seem to be able to overcome it by cleaning out their pen or by, you know, preventing more flies from getting in and all of that, then I would recommend that. But it's not a solution, a long-term solution, I guess I should say, because there are other areas that they need to then look at. And if the antibiotics and the internal teat sealants are fixing their fresh cow problem or fresh heifer problem, then they need to evaluate where it's coming from. And a lot of that can be done through milk culturing. And so we can culture when they calve in, send a milk sample off to determine what pathogen is causing that infection. So if it's something like Staph aureus, which is a contagious pathogen, then we know that's probably coming from flies that are in the area and probably being spread from your lactating cows to your heifers. But if it's an environmental pathogen that they're dealing with as, as in a pattern, you know, um, not just an individual cow, but if they see that one keeps coming up often, often enough that gives them pause, then they should look at the environment that the heifer is in and try to solve that problem on top of treating. And eventually they might get to the point where they don't need to treat all of their heifers before calving, but that is a good band-aid at least temporarily, if they are experiencing a problem with those heifers calving in with that. Okay. Yeah. So first look at like management practices for those heifers, like housing and bedding and how clean the areas are, and then look into like dry treating your first calf heifers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and in like European countries, you know, where antibiotics are a lot less free flowing, (laughs) it's, Mm -hmm. they are not doing things like this, right. Because they're not even able to treat all of their lactating cows that, that we would consider needing quote unquote needing, um, intramammary antibiotics. So they're looking at a lot of those alternatives, right. As management practices, internal teat sealants, all of those things that we know do help that aren't using antibiotics, but antibiotics have their place in lactating cows and dry cows and in heifers, and they should be used accordingly. You know, in the U S we, we have them at our fingertips and we can utilize them in a way that helps our, our farm and helps our cattle, but you can also swing too far in the other direction, where if you are having to blanket treat all of your heifers, because they're all coming in with fresh cow mastitis, as soon as they freshen in, then there's bigger issues, right. That, that you need to solve. And at that point, you're just band-aiding a, a, a bullet hole that you need to fill with some management changes as, as well as the antibiotics. 
Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And here in Southeast Pennsylvania, I work with a lot of organic dairies. Mm -hmm. And I've been to a few milking evaluations recently where we assess all their, their milking protocols. And we assess different management strategies as well, such as like, you know, cleanliness and adding bedding to stalls and everything and how often they groom their stalls. But when we see a lot of heifers freshening in with a high somatic cell count, there's not a lot of options for organic producers to to go from other than to like change their management styles. Is there anything that you would have to recommend for organic producers that they could do differently? I wish that I could. <laughs> I think I would be a millionaire if I could invent something <laughs> that would would help them. I work with a lot of organic producers down in here in Mississippi too. And there, you're right, there are not a lot of options for them, not even just in the antibiotic sense, but in, in any sort of um, mm-hmm. treatment sense, right? So it is really, really difficult to be a conventional producer and really difficult to be an organic producer. But when it comes to treatment, I think organic producers kind of, win that battle of of difficulty because Mm -hmm. they can't rely on antibiotics. They have to focus just on management practices and just on things that, that they have control over. And sometimes things that they don't even have control over, you know, they can't control what the weather is bringing in. And if they utilize a lot of pasture, that's something that they have to constantly be able to pivot and deal with periods of high somatic cell count and, and high cases of clinical mastitis because they, they can't help that their cows are out in that, or their heifers are out in that. Right. So, um, whereas conventional producers, we do have antibiotics that we can utilize. And, and I think sometimes we do take for granted how lucky we are that we do have that ability because we do use them responsibly, right? If you go to a farm, they're not just throwing antibiotics at everybody, it wouldn't make sense to to do that economically or just logically, but organic producers really don't have that option unless they're going to sell that, that cow or call that cow. So it makes it really difficult. And there's a lot of salesmen out there who will tell you that they have the solution for you, right? (laughs) If you're an organic producer and, and sometimes, you know, they, they get to the point of being desperate enough to, to try things because, you know, what's it going to hurt if it doesn't fix it, it's nothing lost, but as a whole, there's, there's really not a lot of great options for them beyond management practices. Yeah. And so we have a bunch of herds up here too, that contract out their heifers to be raised on another farm. So do you have any specific recommendations for an open herd versus a closed herd for heifer management practices to prevent mastitis? Yeah. So I think as a whole, closed herds are less at risk for disease but you still have the disease that you already had within your herd, right? So if you already have Staph aureus within your herd, which remember is that contagious pathogen, buying new animals isn't going to really make a difference in that aspect because you already have it and it's locked into your herd. So um, it's going to spread from cow to cow, regardless of who you bring in. There are a lot of other diseases out there that are, you know, beyond mastitis that you definitely have to be afraid of and very cautious of when you do open your herd up to buying replacement heifers or, or other cattle, bringing them into your farm, some of which can, can decimate herds. So 
it's not always safe to have an open herd, but from a mastitis standpoint, you know, it's not as risky as some other diseases. So I would say before buying animals, if you're buying heifers to bring in as replacements, I would recommend treating them before you bring them in because that will, you don't know what happened on, you know, that farm that you're buying them from. So you don't know what they're dealing with. And some I think I've kind of made it seem like antibiotics will cure all mastitis, but some pathogens will not respond to certain antibiotics or or really antibiotics in general, depending on what stage they've progressed to. But if you treat them and you use an internal teat sealant, you have a little more peace of mind as to them not bringing something else into the herd or just themselves calving in with it. But if you raise your own heifers and you know what they're doing and what your herd has and what they have in with, and you are able to culture your, your lactating cows and you keep good records and you know what is coming in and out and what is staying there, then you can make a better, more educated decision on who you want to treat, when you want to treat, if you want to treat, right? And sometimes that treatment doesn't necessarily mean antibiotics, but could just be just an internal teat sealant or something like that, or prescribing them to a different pasture or a different housing situation or something. But if you don't know how they are raised or what they're exposed to, or if you send them to a heifer raiser that you've been to a million times, but you have a thousand other heifers that are not from your farm there, the safest option would be to treat them with antibiotics and then hopefully be able to also use an internal teat sealant, but you would need to bring them back within enough time before calving to make sure that that milk withholding period can pass before they start entering the tank. Yeah. And I always just like to plug whenever I'm talking about contract heifer raisers or anything that the farmer, wherever you send your heifers, you should always visit that heifer raiser at least four times a year, once during each season, just to be sure that your heifers are taken care of properly. Sometimes it happens where there are situations that the producer doesn't even know about. So it's important to visit and see where your heifers are being raised. That is very true. A good recommendation. (laughs) And then, so our next question is that you actually mentioned this earlier, that heifers are frequently the forgotten population on a dairy. And we all know that. But why should dairy farmers be more concerned about udder health and mastitis in their heifers? Yeah. So sorry, I'm skipping. I was skipping ahead earlier. (laughs) I didn't mean to steal your thunder on this. You're good. (laughs) But it's, I mean, we all should be more concerned with heifers than we are as a whole and and myself included, right? Like I, I, I like baby calves and I like heifers. I understand that they're the future of the herd, but there are a lot of work and a lot of investment to not be getting anything out of them for the next few years. Right. So I, I consider myself to be falling into that, (laughs) that category of producers who kind of, you know, they're, they're almost a necessary evil because they cost a lot of money. You are strictly investing in them. And until they give you a calf in milk, you're not seeing any of that investment come, come back to you. So we need to treat them as an investment instead of as kind of the, the money pit that we, we see them as until they start lactating. You know, we talk a lot about dry cows being super important because that's really not the end of a lactation, but it's the start of a lactation of their next lactation, right? When they have their, their calf 45 to 60 days after you dry them off. And it's really essential that they have 
a good dry cow period from hygiene, nutrition, right? Stress-free management, all of those things are, are super important to dry cows. And I think as a whole, our industry has become more accepting of that as, as compared to what we used to be. And heifers are kind of the next one I see coming up, <laughs> coming up that path because they are basically the dry cow, right? They're just maybe a little bit younger. They haven't had that first lactation as opposed to the dry cows that, that have had at least one, but they're just as important to your herd. You've invested all of this money in them. And, and I think sometimes we just kind of expect the chips to fall as they may, (laughs) but we really, if we focused on them as the investment and, and want to see that return on the investment over time, obviously not immediately, but over time, we should treat them as something that we're going to get that out of, not just something that, Hey, we paid for you. So now we expect you to give us all of your, all of your goods. Right. But, but it's hard because dairy producers have to focus on everything and especially smaller farms that don't have, you know, a special person just for calf management or a special person in the milking parlor, these smaller farms, you can only focus on as many things as you can focus on. And and they're so overloaded, right? Dairying. I, I know, you know, that dairying is, is a very hard, profession. It's not like you can just take a day off or you can decide, well, I'm going to not milk my cows today or feed my cows or calves because I want to focus on my heifers and I want to go see if they have mastitis, right? You can't do that. So it makes it difficult for, for people in our situation to, when we know that we need our producers to focus on heifers, but we also understand that that's not always very practical on a real farm, right? So I think there are ways that producers might be able to implement some of this, mostly, I I guess the, the lowest hanging fruit of it is by culturing, you know, taking aseptic milk samples of your entire herd, preferably on, you know, a whatever monthly or whatever type basis that you can, that you can get it. But even just looking at somatic cell counts through like DHIA, where you can take the samples yourself and send them in, it gives you a basis of mastitis. It's not telling you exactly what your heifers are dealing with, but when you tease it out to see when they calve in what they're dealing with, then it gives you a lot of insight as to what you need to do what actions to do. So it can be overwhelming and and mastitis in general can be overwhelming because it is so complicated. You know, is it contagious? Is it environmental? Is it caused by this or that? Or is it, you know, so far gone that we can't treat it? And all of these questions are really overwhelming. And so if you can get some information on all of your cows over a period of time, and, and then this is the hardest part, actually look at it and examine what is going on on the farm, then you have a better idea of where to focus that little bit of time that you can squeeze in for your heifers, you know where to focus it. So you're not just out there randomly looking at, you know, heifers udders trying to figure out if they have clinical mastitis and, you know, getting kicked in the face because they're all out there being wild. <laughs> you know a little bit better where to tease out that information. And so if you have your first calf heifers are really calving in with high somatic cell counts. 
you know that there's an issue. If they're calving in with low somatic cell counts, but you see at the end of your, your lactating cow's lactation that they are starting to get high somatic cell counts, then that's a whole different problem, right? But you know where to focus. So if your heifers cap in with high somatic cell counts, you still have all those questions of, is it contagious? Is it environmental? How do I stop it? How do I fix it? that doesn't answer your questions, but you can take cultures at that point and see what you're dealing with. And if it is environmental, you can work to change their environment. If it's contagious, you might look at your whole herd as a whole and try to make some alterations to how you deal with things, how often you test, you know, there's, there's a lot of management options, but no management option is going to fix anything, right? It's, it's as a whole doing everything you can. And sometimes everything you can might mean sitting at your computer and looking at what you need to be doing. Yeah. Utilize those DHIA records. They can be really helpful if you actually take the time to sit down and look through them. Yes, they can, but it's hard to take that time, right? Yes. (laughs) You have a million other things. Yeah. (laughs) But it's so important. I mean, if you look at, you really get a lot of information out of DHIA. I think sometimes we kind of just dismiss it as, well, you know, this this cow is on the hot list or whatever. But if you really, if you look in PC Dart and you really dig into what all it can tell you, you can solve a lot of, I guess not solve, but you can figure out how to solve a lot of your problems by just looking at what information that you're already paying for it. And it will save you time in the long run. It just takes time to figure that out. Exactly. So do you have any burning takeaway messages that you would like to share with our listeners? That's a good question. I guess I feel like I've talked for like six hours about (laughs) mastitis, but I, I think mastitis is really important, right? It's, it's the most expensive disease that we have in our, our dairy industry. So it really needs to be a focus and not just in lactating cows and not just in dry cows, but in everybody that you, that you have and heifers as a whole, not even just with mastitis, but heifers as a whole need to, they, they, we need to, to listen to them and we need to make sure that we invest more than just feed into them, right? That we're actually really able to set them up as best we can so that they bring back what we hope to get out of them. So I just think it's producers do a great job and they do so, so much more than I think most of us could ever imagine doing in our, in our careers or or jobs. But I think focusing, fine tuning where you need to focus is a really important thing. And, And the last um, points that we made about DHIA and culturing and looking at your records, I think really gives a lot more information than what some producers give it credit for. So if they could just take that time to evaluate their mastitis situation, I think it would really, really go a long way. Awesome. Yeah. Great advice. Thank you, Amanda, for taking the time with us today and for talking with us. And I'm sure all of our listeners are really going to be able to take away a lot of really good information that you shared. So if you have any further questions regarding this topic, you can email me at cab7033 at psu.edu. And I'm sure Amanda would be willing to answer any questions that you had as well. So I could contact her. Of course. And then don't forget to tune in next Tuesday, where Extension Veterinarian Dr. Adrian Berrigan will interview Becca Walters from Rhineford Farms. Thank you for listening and have a great week.